As you drove in today, you might have noticed the sign in the, the title of the message today is, is The Real Thing. And a lot of times when we, we see a title like that, we are thinking or expecting something about counterfeits, how the world offers counterfeits to God. We've all had a time where um, we purchased something that we probably regretted not going for the better brand. Not Now, a lot of times, there's no real difference. But sometimes, you, you get that thing, you're like, oh, I should have just spent 10, 15 extra bucks and, and got the thing that was going to last, and I, I bought the cheap one, and, um, and now you regret it. Now you have buyer's remorse. But that's not really what we're talking about today. Uh, kind of along the same lines. Remember, uh, if you go back, uh, some of you kind of old enough to remember, maybe it's not a big deal now, but uh, what we call the soda wars. In the, in the 80s and, and early 90s, there was what we called the soda wars. And uh, the soda wars, if you, if you weren't familiar, everyone was trying to establish that they were the real thing. And in fact, Coke has the, the motto, the real thing. And Pepsi was to take the Pepsi challenge. And, um, and, and all, everyone was trying to portray that they were re- the real the, the best, and, and everything else was just the counterfeit. Everything else was just the copy. And that's not our topic today. Sometimes, when we're talking about the real thing, we're talking about the contrast between the, the genuine thing and the thing that symbolizes the genuine thing. In other words, the, 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 the thing uh, that we're interested in it can be symbolized by something, and we can get lost in the thing that is symbol, symbolizing the real article. i give you some examples of that. Uh, your products that you're used to, um, the way that they are advertised sometimes. Well, advertisements are symbols of things. When we were in Culver's, and... Um, you know, you're looking at the TV has like some sport plane and they go to advertisement where they're trying to get you to go get the ice cream or whatever. And so we're looking at that. Well, that looks really good. And Benjamin, Benjamin goes, do you know that that's mashed potatoes? I'm like, what? That's mashed potatoes? Uh, yeah, that's mashed potatoes. Um, they just color mashed potatoes because they don't want the ice cream melting while they're sitting, you know, trying to take all the picture and get the lighting right and everything. So, so mashed potatoes holds its, its form just right. And, and there you go. Uh, the, the, you, you see a picture on your, your cereal box, this beautiful bowl of cereal and everything looks crispy. And you ever wonder, uh, how, you know, in my bowl, cereal seems to be, you know, pretty mushy. How do they get this picture where everything looks beautiful and wonderful? Well, it's because in the picture on the front of your cereal box, it's not milk. It's glue. <laughs> it's Elmer's glue. Uh, so, so it doesn't get mushy. So it, there's all these things like, wow, the symbol really doesn't live up to the genuine thing. The symbol's not bad. It's just the symbol is there to be a symbol. And we're going to look at a text today where Jesus is talking about himself being the real thing. And he's going to contrast that with some symbols. The symbols are not bad. And I want to highlight that before we get going because he's not talking about the counterfeits. He's going to give some references to things that point to him. 
And each of them are good, but they are each things that we can get lost at. So we're going to be in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And he says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I don't receive testimony from any man, but if I say these things, that you may be, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and the shining lamp, and you were willing for a little while to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has tef- testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time or seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because the one whom he sent, you don't believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are those which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you. You do not have the love of God in you, and I have come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If another man comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. That's Moses, who you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. And if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, there are four things in this chapter that are bear witness. That, that bear witness. And this is, and, and in this text. Jesus has just healed a man and they're asking him by what authority he does this thing and who is he and Jesus is trying to say, I'm the real deal. I am the real thing. And this is how you can know that I am. And he gives four things that testify of him. Now one of them we're not going to talk about today because we're talking about the symbols of things that point to Jesus. And how Jesus is the substance of those things. And one of those four is the Father. And, and of course we know that the Father and Christ are equals. That, that Jesus is God. And so we're not going to really focus on the reference to God the Father himself. We are going to focus on three other things in here. Because these other three things, while they are very valuable and very important as testimonies of Christ, the fact is that they are testimonies of Christ and they are symbols of him. And it is important for us to focus on Christ. The first one he says, he talks about John the Baptist here. Now, the, the book of John is written by the Apostle John. And John, so, so we kind of get a lot of Johns here. But so John is talking about John the Baptist. And he says, we, we preached a sermon several months ago about John the Baptist and how impressive of a person he is. That he's that kind of guy that that walked into a room and sucked the oxygen out of it, kind of didn't leave a whole lot of, uh, of, of attention for other people. Just people naturally gravitated towards John the Baptist. Whatever it was about him, we don't know. But he just was a dynamic person. You know, people who speak with power, they, they, they attract a crowd, and John attracted a crowd. People went out to see him. And God didn't choose John by accident. 
God had to get the attention of a lethargic nation. And so he picked this larger-than-life guy. And, and that's necessary sometimes. Just you got to have someone that's going to shake things up. And John shook things up. They were stuck in their routines and God wanted someone that would make a little bit of noise before Christ came. And then Christ was going to come. But he says, listen, he bore witness of the light, but he's not the light. And he said, yeah, you... And it almost seems contradictory because he says, you were willing to rejoice in his light for a little while. In other words, he was kind of like a little light, but he's not the real light. He was just kind of like a little sample of something to come. He was the, the symbol of something that was going to come. And, and he says, you were willing to rejoice in his light for a little while. You know, they were interested for a little while. But that kind of wore off as, as he started pointing to Christ. And they weren't willing to accept Christ. And so the, the closer it got to that, they, they got a little less enthusiastic about it. No, you're willing for a little while. We are so willing to bask in the light of other people. And it doesn't mean that those people are are wrong, just like John wasn't wrong. But the problem is, is that we have a tendency to gravitate towards powerful people. We have our favorite authors, and we we own you know we we as soon as they come out with a book, we purchase that book because we love that author. There's nothing wrong with that. But we just gravitate towards that person, or we have our favorite speaker. We have our favorite preacher. We have our favorite whatever. And anything that that person says, we just, we take it for gospel. Because so-and-so said this. We love the light. You know, it wasn't too long ago that, that people basked in the light of Billy Graham. That was the light. Well, you would go back a century before that and people basked in the light of of Charles Spurgeon. I'm not saying that these were bad men, but I'm saying that the only value that these men had is insofar as they spoke about Christ, that was their value. And the only value in John the Baptist was the fact that he pointed towards Christ, that he was a representation and he was symbolic of Christ and and, and what he spoke. Jesus is trying to attach him uh, or, or draw attention to this nature that we have in ourselves. I don't need... I don't need witness from men. Now, I have testimony from men. He's like, if that, if that, you know, floats your boat, John the Baptist bore witness. I mean, you didn't believe in him. But he's like, I don't need the witness of man. I'm the real deal. So we move on to the next one. He says, oh, the works that the Father gave me to do, I do these in these testify of me. The works that I do, that I have from the Father. Well, what did Christ do? What were His works? Now, when we hear this word works, the first thing that we're drawn to is the miracles. And Jesus did a ton of miracles. I want you to notice, though, 
that his miracles and his works were a certain kind of works that testified of him and who he was. Jesus didn't do magic shows. He was, he was not there to draw attention to himself. Look how great I am. His works were there to testify of what he was. And what he was was a kind person and a generous person and a person that wanted to help. And so his works were the kind of things that did that. The closest thing you could say to a magic show kind of a, a thing was not even something that he had planned to do. Um, but his mother kind of put him into a situation, and so he's like, okay, we'll do it for this time, but after this, you keep your nose in your own business. Was the, the, the miracle at, at Cana where he healed, or where, excuse me, where he turned the water into wine? And, but, but even still, we would have to know a little thing about their culture, and we do kind of know it. I think we probably all know when we read the scriptures, that they were kind of loosey-goosey on their divorce and remarriage rules. They kind of had gotten a little bit um, far from the original intent of marriage. And, you know, there, were, there was a kind of a accepted practice that, that if, if you're, even in this process somewhere, if you're spouse, typically the female, because of, she was... You know, uh, the, the, if the woman, the wife, was lesser in their culture, uh, if she embarrassed or humiliated the male in some way, he could divorce her. They had, I mean, and I'm not saying that this is what God intended, but this is what what their practice was. And it's quite possible that that maybe the the wife's parents had been in charge of. I'm not, I'm not sure of all their cultural things. But if the, if the wife's parents had been in charge of the, the feast and everything, and, and they ran out of stuff, and uh, here, here we are halfway through the, 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 this, this wedding feast, and, and we're running out of stuff, and that's embarrassment, and that's, you know, uh, it's, it's possible that he could have divorced her right then and there. And so Jesus steps in and says, okay, I'm going to save a marriage before it ever gets to that point. Uh, Jesus didn't do things to show off and, and to and to say, "Look at how how cool I am! Look at this great power!" And I'm just going to do a magic show for you. But He always made sure that the things He did, yes, in one hand testified of Him, but testified of the person He was. that he was a caring person and wanted to help people and put people in a better situation, whether it be healing or whatever it was. And then sometimes the works that Jesus did weren't even miracles and helped other people. Think of the story of the, of the, the woman caught in adultery. The same, the same thing, a, a, a genuine desire to help. I mean, not really a miracle other than the fact of reading people's minds and, and knowing the things they did, but, but as far as doing some, some magic performance to, 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 you know, to, to impress people, there was nothing. Just saving a woman's life, that's all. These were the things that Jesus did. And we try to emphasize being practical and, and doing important things in church as a part of the church various ministries that were involved in the various missions but we can get caught up in the works 
and forget that the works are supposed to point people to Christ. The works are important. We, we know that there's just too many scriptures that talk about faith without works is dead. and uh, There's just too many things. We're not saying that works are not important. But we have a tendency to be attracted towards the works. So I fear that I might be misunderstood even in trying to explain that. We get caught up in the charity we do, in the missions that we do, in the VVS programs that we do. And they're all necessary. You do not have a healthy church if it doesn't have works, if it's, if it's not doing these types of functions. It's not a healthy church. And so we do these things because we're trying to be a healthy church and yet they have to testify of Christ. At the core of, these, of, of all of these things, people have to come away with the point that we're trying to do something for Christ. It is not just good enough to do the function and feel like we did something and walk away. Are we more excited about how well something went? Or are we more excited when someone responds to the program or to the mission? The third thing and the last thing. He says, um, and this is a hard one. And I saved it for last because I didn't want you to tune out right away. Uh, so, so be prepared. But the Bible is a symbol. We can overemphasize the Bible. Yes, I said that. I want to highlight what I'm not saying. I am not saying that it's not important to read this regularly. I am, the scriptures are clear. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I am not saying that this is inaccurate in any way. I'm not saying that this is not inspired by God. I'm not saying uh, that, that it's, you know, a bunch of good things just written by men. There are preachers that do not believe that this is fully inspired or, or that this is, uh, that we can trust everything in here. There are preachers that don't believe that. I believe that. What I am saying is that it can become more than God intended it to be to us. We have this idea because of our structure, maybe because of our language, but we read this book and we think of it as the Word of God because it has words in it. And, and it's referred to the sword of, of God, which is His Word, right? And, and so we think of it as the Word of God. And then we come to a phrase in John also, and John opens up his book with the statement that in the beginning was the Word. Well, I'm sorry, this was not written until several thousand years later. So, 
we get confused by that statement. Because this, this book is not the Logos. Christ is the Logos. This is the words about the Word. If you want to think about it like that. Christ is the Word. And these are just the words. Not just as, as meaning unimportant. But in comparison to Christ, these things are not what we are drawn to. I want you to look at what Christ says. Because this is not just my opinion. He says, you search the Scriptures. Verse 39. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. It is these which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You will not have eternal life in this book. You have eternal life in Christ. Now, you cannot know about eternal life apart from this book. You cannot find out how to obtain it apart from this book. But this book does not provide life. I want to illustrate for you how it is that we can overemphasize the Word of God. Because it seems kind of strange. How do you overemphasize the Word of God, Andrew? The words of God, if you will. How do you overemphasize the Scriptures? How, how can, is it, can you read it too much? I mean, can you memorize it too much? I mean, what can you do to overemphasize the words of God? Um, we just finished several weeks ago, right? Reading through the Bible. And I think we all stand here and we feel better. You remember the first, I mean, that, that first feeling you had when you read the words, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. And, and oh, how exciting was that? Close the book. We were so excited. I was excited. It was great. It was an accomplishment. And, and you should in no way... And I think probably, not just that day, but, but looking back on it, you probably feel a little bit more acquainted with the Scriptures. Like, wow, I kind of have a big idea, the big picture, right? Which is what we've been preaching through, the big idea. What, what the big picture is, I, I feel more acquainted with it. And maybe a hunger to go back through it. Or spend some time on certain things. I'd like to go back to this. That was interesting, but we just didn't have the time to. But what about those days? Because we all had those days. I'm not going to ask for show of hands. But we all had that day. Maybe it was just because we were sick. Or maybe it was that, that day that all the bad stuff was happening. I just didn't have time. And I, I was exhausted by the end of the day. And you look up and you're like, oh, man, I've got to go to bed. I've got to get up early in the morning. And I didn't read and what did you feel? You felt guilty. Why did you feel guilty? And that's an interesting question. Why did I feel guilty? I felt guilty because I didn't check off the checklist. Because Andrew had this little magic sheet of paper with some typos on it, yes. 
but but it was more or less told me what we were supposed to do every day to get through by the middle of August or the end of August. That that was the, that was what we were supposed to do, and today I was supposed to do this, and I didn't do it, and so now I feel guilty. And I'm telling you that that is the wrong emotion because that emotion tells me that I overemphasized the Word of God and I turned it into a checklist and I turned it into almost into being equal with Christ. Like that was the important thing. The reading of the words itself was the important thing to do. That was not, not the right negative emotion to have. If we're going to have a negative emotion by missing, there was a better negative emotion to have. Not guilt. But if I would have missed the reading and said, man, I missed an opportunity to learn something about Christ from the Scriptures today. That would have been the right negative emotion. That would have framed the Scriptures as what they are. Something that points to Christ as a testimony of who He is. Instead of just, I feel guilty because I didn't read this today. Because then I give this its own value. I make this a part of the Godhead. And it's not. It is an inspired message about Christ. And it is nothing more. Do not worship the Bible. Don't worship it. Don't look at it as a thing to check off at the end of the day. Christ has given us and highlighted our tendency. Our tendency to focus on things that are not the real thing. Things that can be important. But at the end of it all, things that are not Him. Whether it be a, a person that speaks powerfully and good things, whether it be the church which is doing good things, or whether it be the Scripture which is the ultimate message, we can somewhere we can find ourselves off the beaten path and, and taking our eyes off of the real thing. The other day, uh, we were trying to we were trying to get ready for a birthday party, you know, and so we're picking up the yard so it doesn't look like a construction, you know, lying basically to all our visitors um, and, and trying to make it look like, you know, this is a, a normal place where people live instead of a place where construction goes on on a daily basis. And, and so we're just flying around, it's like half an hour left, and Katie's really at a wit's end trying to get the, the house in order, and, and she, uh, we had, had the mat uh, to our front door was you know, lying in the yard. So she flips that up onto the yard and runs into the house. And I looked at it. And it's funny because our, our mat says home. But when she flipped it up on in front of the door, it said, uh, it was backwards. So that when you went out the door, it says home. It's kind of funny. Uh, not really home, but in a sense, it's a valuable lesson. When we walk out the doors, and we have to be at home in the world. It is important for us 
to be a picture of Christ. To the people that see us, it is important that we point towards Christ. And for us to point towards Christ, we have to be aware of the things that are important, but the thing that is most important. These are not counterfeits that we speak of. But we do need to remember that they point towards Christ. And that is our job. To walk out, to be at home around other people and to point to Christ.